Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. All right, grab a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1. Um... We're going to talk about uh, uh, some values today. We as a church have been, uh, we're almost three years old, and a lot of people ask, uh, why do you do things the way you do? Um, And the reason is, first and foremost, because Jesus has lived, died, and raised from the dead, and He is God and Lord, and we declare Him as the resurrected Lord. So because of that, we are gathering in a nightclub on Sunday morning, dedicating babies, singing songs, preaching from the Bible. It's because of Jesus that we are here and gathered, and so we want to proclaim Him. He is at the center of our church. But as we've been looking at Jesus' life in the Gospels and look at what it means to be a group of people following Him in a church, we've decided to look at some of the things that He valued in His ministry, things and the approach to ministry that He took. And so we have kind of some four values or four concepts we're going to talk over the next three weeks. So if you are new, this is a perfect time. To be here this morning, we're going to talk about the kingdom. Um, so, if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter one. I want to do a couple of things. I want to tell the gospel story in um, from the Old Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, in about ten minutes, and talk about uh, the reason why we have chosen these kind of values. And then from there, I want to talk about Jesus's primary message of the kingdom and what it means for us today. So, you with me? Let me try that again. You guys with me? 
All right, buckle up. Okay, so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, but before we go there, in 1616 uh, A.D., Galileo, uh, astronomer, philosopher, um, a thinker, mathematician, uh, came up with a theory called uh, heliocentrism. It was a theory stating that the earth and the planets revolved around a relatively stationary sun. And this shocked the world. He presented a theory, a system of beliefs that basically argued that the sun was the center of the solar system. But in his day, in the 1600s, scientists, mathematicians, the church, which had a lot of authority over governments at that point, did not believe that. They followed something called geocentrism, which was the belief that the earth was the center of our solar system. And Galileo presented an argument that the church called him a heretic for. That through science and reason and, and math, that we could, we could theorize that actually, even though it looks from our perspective that the sun is moving, it's really us on earth that's moving around the sun. This paradigm shocked the world in his day. It was truth that was later discovered as reality. Would you agree that we revolve around the sun? We know that now. Okay, you're with me on that? But it was a challenge to the culture of its day, to the religion of its day, because he presented an idea that was overlooked. I believe, uh, it's been my experience and experience of many others even here, that we have all developed theories, theologies, views of God that have not been biblical, some of us, that have been products of tradition, of a religion passed on from generations, that have been products of a culture, of our personal experiences with God. We've assumed, um, reasoned that God is a certain way or that the story of what Jesus is about has been highlighted or overemphasized and, and underestimated or de-emphasized in certain areas. Where And forgive me for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, but I think this will all come together in a little bit. But I've seen throughout history a theology that overemphasizes some things and underemphasizes others or deemphasizes. And, and, and they miss the large story of what God has been up to from the beginning of time. And sometimes people present theories or theologies that the church is afraid to deal with. So today, with a bunch of new people, I'm braving... I'm breathing. I'm going to step out in courage to teach what I think has been fundamental to our view as a church and why we do what we do. So Genesis chapter 1, it begins here with the story of God, the gospel message. Genesis 1, it says this. Let's read this together in our Bibles or on the screen. In the beginning, God created... You don't have to read it with me. Sorry, that's... I was totally my miscommunication. Read it silently. Because... I'm going to make you stand next time, do some, get some hymns up here in the pipe organ. So, no, I'm all for that, but let me read this to you, and you read in your head. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. 
The story of the Christian Bible opens up in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. God creates heavens and the earth. God intentionally creates. So we have a God who creates. Verse 2, we have the Spirit of God hovering over creation. Verse 3, God speaks and things happen. In the beginning of the story of, Christian, uh, of, of our Bible, the story of creation is a God who shows himself in three distinct ways. God who creates, God who is spirit, and God who is word. We see the Trinity in the first three verses of the Hebrew Bible. But it begins in Genesis chapter 1 with God creating, and it's a poem, chapter 1. It's, it's a poem of God creating all of the universe. And, and things get more and more complicated and more difficult. And so Genesis 1 begins with light and darkness and then eventually day, eventually the lands and the seas and then vegetation that has the capacity to produce of its own kind. And then animals from animals like birds and fish to more complicated animals like cats and even more complicated beautiful animals like dogs. And it just keeps going down a progression. It, it, it's getting progressively more complicated and more important to where you get to verse 26 in Genesis. Go there. And this is what God says in the story. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, plural, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, over the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number Fill the earth and subdue it. Just highlight subdue it if you have a Bible of your own. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So he says, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over everything else. Go to Genesis 2 real quick before I come back to that. Genesis 2, chapter 7. So that's Genesis 1. It's the creation story of all the cosmos. Genesis 2 is not... It's a different creation story. It's... It's creation, creation chapter, chapter 1 is creation of all the cosmos. Chapter 2, it's, it, sink, it sinks in, it zeroes in on earth, and it zeroes in on the Garden of Eden, and it zeroes in on Adam and Eve. It's a little more particular. Now, Genesis 2, verse 7, this is what God does. He says, Then the Lord God formed a man from dust, from the ground, from the earth, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So another picture is the earth and things are physical and then there are things that are spiritual and humanity is right in the middle, distinct from all creation. Humanity is the combination of soil and spirit. Go back to Genesis 1. I'm going to make that point in a second. Genesis 1, God says subdue it. That word is a Hebrew word for steward. Um, the commission humanity has in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the Hebrew context, is to partner with God in the stewarding of all creation. Humanity is commissioned in Genesis 1 and 2 to partner with God in the caring for the world. Stewardship is taking care of something on behalf of the owner. That's one way to look at it. So in the beginning of time, the story, where it begins, it begins with a God who's looking for people to partner with Him in what He's up to. This is how the story begins. One more point. Notice this. Spirit and soil are joined together. If you read Genesis 1 and 2, heaven and earth are one. 
And there isn't some place else. There's earth, which is united to heaven. There's not some other place, some other action going on. All of it takes place here on earth. This is where the story begins. This, the gospel story begins with a God who's, who, who gives humanity right relationship with himself. So, that, so, so humanity has right relationship with God, with themselves, with each other, and with all of creation. This is the Hebrew word for shalom. In Genesis 1 and 2, the story begins with shalom, perfect relationship with all of creation. God is looking at us to steward what he's created on his behalf. Are you with me? The story moves on. That's where it begins. In Genesis 3, we're introduced to this thing called sin. And sin is our capacity as humans to reject God. It's our capacity out of the love that God's given us for free will and the love that God's given us for choice to love Him back, to, to operate out of our identity of being made in His likeness and image. We have the freedom to choose and we have rebelled against God. And, and you could say sin is the disruption of shalom. Where things were perfect in Genesis 1 and 2, sin introduces a whole new set of things. Rebellion, disruption, Things begin to misplace. Creation and the, the order of creation is no longer happening correctly. Um, death is introduced into the picture. We were designed to live with God forever in perfect harmony on earth with heaven joining. And sin introduces a whole new story. Devastates shalom. Be with me. And this is where our Bible really speaks about this issue. If you read, uh, if you read the Bible and you wanted to take out sin... Um, you would have four chapters. Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. You'd have a garden and then you'd have a city with a lot of garden metaphors, a river and trees and all of that stuff. So you'd have a pamphlet. So sin is a big deal. And Jesus, uh, and so, and so you have Genesis 1 and 2, Shalom. Shalom is distorted. Humanity is no longer in its right place with God themselves and each other and all creation. And God, as a loving God, for the rest of our entire Old Testament and New Testament, spends his time trying to redeem what was lost in the garden. So the gospel story is a gospel of a God pursuing us, saying that you, it's not that you aren't this, it's that you were made for this. And this isn't who you are. Because the story doesn't start in Genesis 3, it starts in 1 and 2, you with me? So God is on a redemptive path where he chooses the nation of Israel to represent him on earth. You've heard, heard us talk about this. Uh, the is Israelites were designed to live as God's uh, representatives on earth, to bring redemption to the nations, to, to creation, and it doesn't happen. And then Jesus comes onto the scene, and this is where we need to center in. Jesus comes onto the scene and embodies the, the Israelites. He fulfills the mission of Israel fully. He fulfills the Old Testament scriptures. He embodies everything as God incarnate. He comes onto the scene and his life, his words, his work, his ministry, and his death on the cross did away with all the sin that the world had developed from Genesis 3 for those who would believe in him. So the story is what God intended to do, he did. He redeemed humanity, past tense, through the work of the cross once and for all. 
That's three chapters so far, right? Creation, perfect harmony, shalom with God. Fall, chapter 2 of this, this gospel story that I'm telling, which is with uh, uh, humanity rebels against God. And chapter 3 is God redeeming His people and making a way so that we can enter back into this right relationship with God, each other, and ourselves in creation. But that story of the gospel doesn't end on the cross, does it? It doesn't end with the doing away of the sins. No, that's not where the story ends. It, it goes on to hear, you hear about a resurrection of Jesus. And what he does is he then commissions those that have said yes with their lives, that Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life, that, that have followed Jesus with their lives, their disciples as we call them. He says, now you go and restore all of creation. You go and become a participant in the restoration of shalom. The gospel message isn't just believe in Jesus so that you can be saved. That's absolutely part of the story. And it's so important that I communicate that. But the gospel isn't just the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus invites us to partner with him. Here, here's one way that look, to look at it in Scripture. Here's a couple of verses to see this big story that I'm trying to paint for you guys. So from Genesis to Revelation, the story, to, from Jesus' own words, is in Matthew 19. Matthew, Matthew 19, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, dot, 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 talks about what will happen when God restores once and for all. He calls it the renewal of all things. When Peter is describing the story of Jesus and what, what's happening with Jesus, go to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, Peter is, is confronted by people that are, are going to believe him and his message and those that don't. And he says, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything or restore all things as he promised long ago through the holy prophets. Um, go to one more if you want to hear how Paul talks about it. Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 1. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, being Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the story of the Bible is about a God who is working to redeem, to reconcile, to restore, and, um, and renew all things back to himself. And when I say all things, I don't just mean humans. The Greek translation for all things translates to mean all things. It's everything. In other words, the mission is to restore us back to shalom. You with me? So if you look at Genesis 1 and 2 in the story of God, you realize that God is bringing a redemptive movement and inviting us back into the story to partner with Him in the renewal of all things. And this shapes everything for us as a church. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. So I want to talk about the kingdom. Go to Mark chapter 1 real quick. Um, does everyone capture, get that story? Ten minutes of the entire Bible. Um, so, I know that, uh, so here we are, kingdom. So when you have this picture, the picture is that it begins with shalom and God's working to redeem it back to shalom. When you have that understanding of the, the gospel, and that the action in, in Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 2 takes place here on earth, a new heaven and new earth restored and reconciled and redeemed. When you have that as your mindset, 
and not just a, a gospel of salvation, which is just believe in Jesus, and then one day, someplace else, you will be saved from all of this stuff. You will be zapped out of here. That's not the biblical theology of the New Testament or Old Testament for that matter. Everything takes place here. So when you begin to uh, have that type of paradigm, all of a sudden the sun is at the center of the solar system. And for us, when you put that paradigm into the center of the solar system, for us as a church, the kingdom becomes a priority. Do you know that Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else in the New Testament? More than anything else. He talked about the kingdom of God. And for those of us that are Christians, that have been Christians for a while, how many of us can clearly articulate and define that kingdom? <laughs> right? How many of us can articulate the gospel I just, I just shared with you from that lens? So my attempt in articulating our values is to help us articulate what we're about as a church so that we can take this out. Because this has dramatic implications for those of us that have said yes for Jesus. All right, so Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And for those of you that have been here for a while, you know I have one message and one message alone, and that's God's kingdom. And so I'm going to teach it again. But here's what I want to do. I want you guys to take notes, write it down, and get ready to understand what this, what this means for us today. So Jesus comes onto the scene, and it's in Mark's gospel, and it says in verse 14 that he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is Jesus' message in one sentence. Three parts. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. I want to break these down. If, if you were listening to Jesus 2,000 years ago, you would have known exactly what time he was talking about. It was a very specific time that every single Jewish boy and girl would have understood. It was a time referred to in the Old Testament as the age to come. And the age to come was developed by the prophets of the Old Testament. And they said that God was going to act in history again, in history again. And he was going to do a massive movement. And things were going to be restored and redeemed. And it would be a time that would be marked by healing, by, uh, by forgiveness of sins, by the resurrection of the dead, by justice. It would be a time when God would come in and, and bring new hearts bring new spirits. It would be marked by God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It would be marked, as some of the prophets describe, as a season of shalom, where literally the prophets of the Old Testament, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, um, Malachi, they talk about a time when the lion would sleep with the lamb. Nations would be at peace with each other. They give a, a human, Humanity would be in right relationship with God. They give a picture of shalom dating back to Genesis 1 and 2. And so you see, when Jesus comes onto the scene, everyone is anticipating the age to come, when God would do this. And Jesus comes and says, that's happening right now. All of that stuff that you're waiting for is currently here and fulfilled. That's a reality that I'm, I'm living out as God. That's what Jesus did. But then he went on and preached the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God, these are the definitions we've been working with for the last two years in, in, in our own language. And there are some great theological, deep intellectual statements that you can have, but I want to explain it so we can understand it. It's God's present activity on earth. It is God's reign 
or sovereign rule. What do I mean by rule? It's what life on earth would look like if God was in charge. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about your your life, your finances, your home life, your past, your worries, your stress, your experiences with other people. What would it look like if God was in charge of your life? If his way of life was breaking forth on earth as it is in heaven, what would his rule look like for you personally? Jesus is saying that God's way of life and what he intended life to be in the first place is at your fingertips. That's what it means that the kingdom of God has come near. That a life marked with peace and justice and freedom, transformation, no more addictions, no more anxiety, no more depression. That life is at your fingertips and it's at hand. And that word, that phrase at hand means you can reach out and touch it. It's spatial. It's here. You can grab for shalom and become part of this life. That's what Jesus is announcing. That's what he means when he says this is good news. That time is fulfilled. God's activity on earth, His rule, His way of life is at your fingertips. Repent and believe in the good news. Jesus proclaims this message and then He demonstrates it. You want to know what the kingdom of God is like? Just follow Jesus around, right? So what happens? People that don't have hope receive hope. People that don't have enough food to eat have enough food to eat. People that are spiritually or physically oppressed are liberated. People that are sick are healed. Um, His way of life bursts forth through Him. The least likely people are invited in to be a part of this story. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. So He doesn't just teach about it and say believe just in your mind. He demonstrates it with His authority. But then He says something so profound, but so regularly missed by the church. He says repent and believe. Stay with me for just a second on this. The word repentance means to change one's mind. And we've heard this. You've heard the southern preacher preaching, nothing against them, preaching that you're a sinner and you're going to hell. You need to repent. And so we, we think that what repentance means is just to, to turn away from, because that's what it means. Or to change one's mind in Greek, metanoia. Um, and, and that's absolutely the case. It, it does mean to turn away from those things. The, the Hebrew word is teshuva. And the Hebrew word for repentance means to return. Now, if we told the gospel story starting in Genesis that we are sinners that need to be saved, what are we returning to? Because the gospel story begins in Genesis 1. We can invite people to return to who they were intended to be in the first place. So repentance has a a much deeper implication now that you understand the concept of Shalom. But moving on, um, so he says, repent and believe. And, And I think we've done a terrible job of saying hey, let's get people in our church so they can hear the message and then make a transaction where they believe in Jesus and say the prayer. That way they have fire insurance so that when Jesus comes someday, sometime else, and zaps us out to someplace else, we'll be okay. That's what it means to believe in the gospel. That's not what it means. And if you've been taught that by the church, on behalf of the church, I apologize. Because it's so much more beautiful than that. The gospel message... Jesus puts two Greek words, repent and believe, which becomes a military concept. 
Repent and believe to the people listening would have heard. Let go of your agenda and align yourself to my agenda and become a full participant in this new reality. Let go of whatever agenda you brought in here and align yourself to God's agenda and His way of life breaking forth and become a participant of shalom. Become a participant of wholeness, of justice, of peace, of healing, of righteousness, of of putting on forgiveness, giving forgiveness away. Don't just believe in your heart that you're going to be saved one day. Yes, but become a participant in restoring God's creation back to its original intention. That's what it means to live out the gospel. It isn't about inviting people into a right relationship with Jesus, but it's so much more. It's that your lives become so transformed, all you do is invite them into your life and they experience shalom. They, they experience justice. I've seen this. You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like right now? I have families, we have families in the garden that adopt babies that nobody wants. Where's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God happens when a family says, hey, to their own biological children, we're going to take on other kids because they don't have parents. And we don't have enough resources to go around per se, but we're going to trust God because they need a place to live. They need a mom and dad who loves them. That's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a woman in our church who is a dear friend who has one of the most uh, interesting stories, to say the least. She's an addict, homeless at one point, and her self-value was so scarred by what the world gave her. But she came to Jesus and eventually began to walk with us and understand the implications of the kingdom message. And as she began to walk through her past, she began to lead other people. She began to see herself as a beloved child of God and began to lead people in her church. She became a founding elder. She became someone that uh, helped other women who are experiencing divorce and shame and depression and anxiety and not enough money to go around. She leads them out of a wholeness because of what God's done with her life when she thought there's no way on God's earth I could ever be anything in the church or lead anyone else. God's using her story to show other people that they too can become a participant of restoration. That's where the kingdom of God is. Where's the kingdom of God? It's all over the place. It's when people choose to believe in this message and act on it. We allow ourselves to see our our neighborhoods as the the environment for mission. Our jobs, you're a photographer. How do you allow God to bring restoration of all things through your work in photography? What is he up to in your relationships? How do you live as a participant of shalom? Or, Or your hobby, do you go to the gym and say, God, what are you up to today and how can I spread this good news? Maybe it's a cold glass of water to a homeless friend. Maybe it's, it's sharing your testimony and inviting people to dinner. That is how you spread the kingdom of God around. You know how else you do it? You pray. When you believe God can do this stuff, that His way of life is present and real, you pray differently. It's not just, God, oh, your will be done. No, no, no. You embody on earth as it is in heaven. Because as, as a kingdom participant, you know there are places on earth that do not look like heaven. There are places in our neighborhoods, our next door neighbors, around the world where there's prostitution, 
There's human trafficking. There's poverty. There's not enough food to go around. There's depression. There's anxiety. There's eating disorders. There's, there's fighting in families. They're divorced. There, there are ways where God's way of life, there are places where God's way of life is not happening. But as followers of Jesus, we pray your will and kingdom into those places. And we don't just pray, we act into those places on behalf of God as His hands and feet. We become the answer to those prayers. Obviously, I'm passionate about this. Um, another way is we actually believe in healing. If We're going to ask for prayer later, but um, I, I love this story, the kingdom of God. It's so beautiful when a couple from our church that, that comes to our, our prayer gatherings, third Wednesday, Never saw them before in my life. Pete's leading worship, and I felt God say, uh, they need prayer because they can't get pregnant. And I asked Pete, should I say this? He's like, no. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, okay, I agree. I'm not going to say this. So we believe in something called words of knowledge, that God actually speaks to us and tells us things that we don't know necessarily. And so I, it just was, my heart was pounding. I walked up to them, and I'm saying, in all humility, hey, I might be completely wrong, but I want to pray if this is right. You know, are you struggling to get pregnant? I don't know you. What's your name? And they start crying. Yes. It's in vitro after in vitro. They're in the process of adoption. They, it's just this scar on their life. And every time there was a baby dedication at church, it was a simple reminder that they couldn't get pregnant. Doctor says it's not going to happen. So I say, okay, God's got a promise. I think he can heal. I want to pray for that. I know he doesn't always heal. Believe me, I know that God doesn't always heal, but let's pray for it. Prayed. Nothing happened for months and months and months and months. They're 22 weeks pregnant. And the, the doctors think it's a miracle. They got pregnant outside of in vitro. And the whole story, it's not just a story of healing, of dramatic healing, like a barren woman being able to produce a child on her own. That's a miracle that needs applause. But the miracle is what God did in their faith, that he reminded them that he is a God of promise, that he is, he is good. And it restored them to community. It restored them their marriage. It restored their past. I mean, just the implications of what God can do if you let Him in. God, God doesn't always do that, but we pray for healing. That's how the kingdom moves. This shapes, as a church, our ministry. It shapes our Sundays. It shapes the way we call you guys to participate with us on mission. We're not going to transform the city as an institution. We'll transform it because followers of Jesus say yes every chance they can in their everyday ordinary life to bring the kingdom of God where they go. If you're working out at CrossFit, if you're a photographer, if you're traveling over the, overseas, if you're, if you're studying for, for a bar exam, if you're, if you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you're a student, if you're a teacher, if you're a stay-at-home mom, if you own a business, it does not matter if you sit behind a desk, if you're an engineer, it does not matter. God wants to use you where you are to bring the kingdom of God. Amen? That's the gospel. And that's what we value first. That the church is not at the center of the universe. Jesus is, and his message. And what we will see is that next is what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be on mission, and then the church. Most of the time we flip it. The church is the end all. It's not. It's a byproduct of the kingdom and discipleship and mission. And we want to put the church in its place. That's the kingdom. So what does this look like? Um, well, I think you've got to ask yourself, what does it mean to allow the kingdom of God to be present in your life? What does it mean to participate? I believe that the kingdom 
offers us the best way to live. I believe Jesus offers us the best way to live. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will live and flourish, not because you're becoming a robot, but because you're becoming more fully yourself. That's the gospel, bringing it to shalom. You're in right relationship with yourself and God and others and creation. That's what we have as good news. So the question is, what kind of good news are you living and what kind of good news are you telling? Some of us need to repent. We literally need to reject the old ways of life and come back into the saving grace that God says, you are loved not because of what you do, but because of what I say you are, who I say you are, excuse me. We need to repent from those ways. We've been off. We've been wandering. We need to come back to this message. Some of us need to accept it for the first time. We've never made a commitment to Jesus. And we need to make a commitment. It doesn't mean there's just a transaction. Jesus will then invite you into a whole new world. Um, No more Disneyland jokes. But uh, that's the reality. Some of you need to accept it. Uh, Others of of us need to ask the question... uh, what would it look like for, the, for God's way of life to be in my life? Are you dealing with anxiety? Depression? Are you dealing with difficult circumstances? Are you hurting? What, you look at your finances and all you think of is stress. All you think of is pain. You look at your past and you're just full of broken. You can't think of family members without crying. Uh, I want to suggest that you don't have to live that way. God might not change those circumstances, but He will change the way you are in those circumstances because of the kingdom. So to summarize, if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, God is looking for people to partner with Him in caring for creation. Jesus' message of the kingdom in Mark is God is looking for people to partner with Him to restore creation. You're commissioned as followers to restore all things. Shall we pray? Let's stand together. Thank you for uh, those of you that are visiting for bearing with us as we talk through what we value most. I want to invite you to close your eyes. Some of you, um, this might be the first time you're open to God. And maybe if you feel comfortable, just hold your hands out like this. If you can't see me, it's like this. As a posture of wanting to receive, we believe that there is a living God and His Spirit is present and uh, here and willing to fill us and bless us. And um, So we want to invite Him into this. So I'm just going to pray a little bit and then we'll see where we'll go from there. Lord, thank you for this message of grace that we are not called to be robots, that we are called to be participants in the work you are up to, that somehow you believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for a message of hope, not of despair and condemnation, but one of hope. 
We ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill us with your presence. Fill us, Lord, fully, that we will know what to do with this type of good news. I think of of this news, and I think there's so many ways I'm blowing it. So, Lord, if anyone's like me, I just pray for grace to know that it has nothing to do with that. But give us the ability and enable us to do what we can't do on our own. I pray, Holy Spirit, for my brothers and sisters, those that are full of anxiety and depression, those that are full of lust and greed, full of fear, full of anger. I pray that your kingdom would would present to them a new life today. Freedom from those things, Jesus. Speak. 